measuring points, if you remember. And I compared the, the Christian life and giving a faith promise to running in a marathon. And I said, you know, you don't wake up one day and just decide, I'm going to run in a marathon. You, you train for it. You plan for it. You think about it. And uh, a lot of people run for fun. Now, so I know some of you are like that. Fun, run, do not, they're not the same. They rhyme, but there's, they're nothing alike. Um, but I, I love to run for fun. It, it just encourages me. It strengthens me. It, I just, that's what I want to do to decompress, to feel good. And so I do it. But there's a difference between running for fun and training for a marathon. There's a huge difference. And, you know, there are benefits to running for fun. You know, you, you're healthier. You get an energy. Uh, there, there's lots of good things that happen, but if you want to run a marathon, you've got to follow kind of a plan and a strategy, and you've got to, to go after it. And our spiritual lives are much that same way, because the Apostle Paul compares our lives, our spiritual lives, to running in a race. And there is benefit to just, you know, having fun in the Christian life, if you will. You know, there's benefit if you're going to read the Bible, but, you know, just wh whatever feels good today, just kind of open it up and read this or maybe read a little of this and read a little of that. You know, pray whenever I need to or whenever I feel God leading me to pray, I'll pray. You know, in giving, you know, whenever, whatever I, I want to give today, I'll give or, you know, I'm not going to tithe or I'm not going to make a faith promise, but, you know, I'll just give. And th there's benefit to it. I can't deny it. If you pray at all, if you are in the word at all, if you give anything, there is spiritual benefit that comes from that. But if we want to mature and grow in our faith in Christ, there have got to be measuring points in our lives. There's got to be strategic steps that we take to grow. It's not just going to happen. Just because Jesus died and rose again and we sing about it does not mean that I will automatically grow up and develop my full potential in Christ. I've got to take the steps to do that. And so there are these measuring points that we take to reach our goal. Now, the measuring points are not the goal. And if we make them the goal, we get off track. We become religious. But those measuring points, those things that we do, those disciplines of the faith help us reach our goal. In Philippians chapter 3, the apostle Paul says, this is the goal. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to understand what it means to fellowship with him in his suffering because I want to somehow attain to the resurrection of the dead. Now, if the Apostle Paul, who had visions of heaven and grandeur and did all of these things and wrote for us about a, at least a, a third of our New Testament, if that, that, that Apostle Paul says somehow I want to attain to the resurrection of the dead and so I do certain things in order to, to get there, how much more should you and I? In Ephesians chapter four, as he talks about us in the body of Christ, he says our goal is to come together in such unity and faith so that you and I together grow in our knowledge of God and we grow up in our faith and we come and we measure up to the full standard of Christ Jesus. So over the next several weeks, we're going we're gonna to study a series that I've called Built to Last. Built to Last. If you've got a Bible, let's go to Matthew chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you. If you want to open it up to Matthew chapter 7, we're going we're gonna to read together a passage of Scripture, and then uh, I hope to unpack quite a bit of information for you and then make a conclusion. Does that sound like a good idea? And I hope to do all that before noon. 
Let's pray. Father, help us to hear your word. Help me today to share the things that are in your heart for us to hear and receive today. Help Help me to speak with clarity. Help us to hear with clarity. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you you know, but this built to last slogan is used by the Ford Motor Company. It's probably used by other products too, but Ford is known for, you know, powered by Ford, built Ford tough, built to last. Can I tell you something about Ford? No matter how it's built, it doesn't last. I mean, maybe you could put 100,000, 200,000. You might even get no, you won't get there in a Ford. But you might get several, in a Toyota, you might get to 300,000, but not in a Ford. But if you get to, you know, a certain point, that it just dies. I mean, it's built to last, but nothing lasts forever except us. You and I will last forever. And over these next several weeks, as we go through this series, what I hope to do is give us some principles. If we're going to build lives that last, What do we need to do? How do we need to live? The scripture says, those who endure to the end will be saved. Not those who said the sinner's prayer will be saved. Not those who went to church fairly regularly will be saved. But those who endure to the end, what does that mean and what does it look like in our lives? And so today we're gonna start that conversation by talking about Jesus. I mean, after all, today is Resurrection Sunday, so it just makes sense that we talk about the author and the finisher of our faith. The one who was died, who, who was crucified, buried, and then rose again for us. And we're going to talk about how that helps us live lives that are built to last. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews says, we reach our spiritual goal. We reach the goal that God has for us by fixing our eyes on Jesus. So it makes sense that we do that. So Matthew chapter seven, if you're there, we're gonna look at verse 24. Now, I'm gonna give you a whole lot of scriptures. In fact, I probably put more on this screen than I'm gonna cover. So there may be a screen that I just skip over because you know, sometimes people, you know, as a, a pastor, they'll tell you, you know, what you need to do to improve. Um, you know, because that's what we do at the doctor's office too. We go in and say, hey doctor, let me, t- let me tell you how to improve yourself. Um, and this is what they say. They say, Pastor, you give too many scriptures in your sermons. You know, and if there's, if there's ever a flaw I want to have, it's that I give you too much scripture, okay? And so I do know that I give you a lot of scripture. And sometimes I really do agree that I give you too much. But uh, I'd rather give you too much than not enough because that's going to be what anchors us in, in our lives. And so Matthew chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 24. This is what Jesus is saying. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. Verse 26, but anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, 
it will collapse with a mighty crash. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is known as the Sermon on the Mount. This is the largest collection of teaching, straight teaching of Jesus in the Scripture. If you have a red letter edition, you'll notice all of those verses are read because Jesus is speaking. Now, whether Jesus actually spoke this in one sitting or this is just a collection that Matthew gathered over time and put it together, we don't know for sure, but we do know that Jesus said it. We do know from the scripture that Jesus at times taught for several hours to the point that people fell asleep, to the point that people got really hungry, to the point that uh, he had to multiply loaves of bread and fish. And so if I'm gonna go after the noon hour, I better be ready to multiply food so you who are hungry don't faint on your way to lunch. That's what Jesus did. So whether or not Jesus taught it in one sitting or whether it's you know, just a collection of teachings, we know one thing, he taught it. This is the words of Jesus. And what he says is, if you want to have a life that's built to last, here's what you do. First, you hear my teaching. That's easy enough, isn't it? I mean, you're here right now. You're hearing his teaching. You read your Bible this week. You've heard his teaching. You maybe have a devotion book or another Christian book by a Christian author. You, you've heard his teaching. You're well on your way to building a life that lasts. Except, he says the second thing. He says, you have to follow my teaching. In fact, listening to our teaching and not obeying it is the foolish person. So no matter how much we listen to his teaching, it will not guarantee our lives are built to last. In fact, we can hear a lot of it, but if we are not consistently putting it into practice in our lives, even though we think we're okay, we're not gonna last. A flood is going to come, torrential rain is going to come, wind is going to come, some storm is going to come, and that house is going to crash. The scripture says it's the judgment, it's going to come, and in fact, right before that, look up a few verses in verse 21. Jesus says these words, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. If you've ever been in church at all, you might have heard that human beings are born with a sinful nature. Because of Adam and Eve in the garden and their disobedience, every child they had and now every child born is born with a nature to sin. You don't have to teach children to sin. They do it naturally. We have a bend toward it. We don't naturally do what is right, especially to God's standard of righteousness because God has never sinned. There's no sin, disobedience, rebellion in God at all. And anything in his presence, any sin in his presence is just consumed. It just can't, it can't be there. And so it, because of that, all of us have sinned. We've all broken God's standard of righteousness. And the consequence for that is separation from God and it's death. That's what the Bible tells us. And that sentence will be carried out one day when those who sin, when those who break God's laws will be cast into eternal fire where there will be forever. 
Because every one of us in this room is gonna live forever. We are built to last. But whether we last in the kingdom of God or last in, in eternal fire is up to you and I. And it seems like Jesus is telling us that we have to do what he says in order to make sure we last. See, God revealed to us in his word this idea that we've sinned, we've broken his laws, but thankfully he had a plan. And he revealed that plan to us in scripture too. And so if you've been in church, you've maybe heard this. God showed his great love for us in this by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. And so perhaps you at one time said a prayer to invite Jesus to forgive you of your sin and live in your heart. I mean, that makes sense. If I read those verses, I'm gonna do that. I'm, I'm in. I mean, that sounds like a good option. The question I have is, if the scripture says that this salvation that we receive is a free gift from God and that we're saved by grace through faith and it's a gift of God and it's not of ourselves so that we don't boast, why in the world is Jesus saying that if we don't do what he says, he's gonna say, get away from me. If we don't do what he says, our lives are gonna crash. So which is it? Are we, is it free or do I earn it? I mean, is it a gift that God gives to me or do, do I have to put something into practice in order to see that happen? And here's the answer. Yes. Yes, that's the answer. The answer is found in the two things we celebrate on, on Easter weekend. The answer is found in the cross and in the resurrection. So let's look first at the cross because we believe in the cross and the cross is a picture of both the mercy and the justice of God. In Psalm 103 verse eight, we're told this, the Lord is compassionate and merciful. He's slow to get angry and he's filled with unfailing love. Contrary to maybe what you've been taught or told, God is not angry with you and I for sinning. In fact, God does not want any to perish. He wants all to come to eternal life. There is a part of the character of God, his love, his mercy, where he does not want us to be separated from him. He does not want us to spend eternity in hell. He did not create hell for you and I to dwell in. He created it for Satan and the demons who rebelled against him and were kicked out of heaven for them. But the problem is, God isn't just love. God isn't just merciful, he's also just. And because God is just, there has to be a penalty for what we've done. For our sin, there has to be payment. He can't just because of his love and mercy look at you and I and say, I, I want you in heaven, and so please, just come here. I'll just overlook your sin. I'll just pretend it never happened. I'm gonna turn, because then he would be out of his character because his justice demands payment. Well, because God is also infinitely wise, he developed a plan, and this is it. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. That's the cross. 
So the cross now takes the love of God that says, I don't want you to perish. I don't want you to spend eternity in hell. I don't want you to be separate from me. I want you to come, but I'm, I, I need a penalty. And Christ willingly came to this earth and became that penalty and bridged the gap so that you and I can be right with God. And the scripture tells us in John 3, 16, this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him is no longer gonna perish, but have eternal life. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting sins against them. That's why we believe in the cross. Because when you and I are hidden in Christ, when we grab a hold of the cross, when we put faith in what Christ has done, when we admit, you know what, I've broken God's law, and there's a penalty that, that's demanded for that, and I can't pay that penalty. But Christ paid it on my behalf, and we confess that to him, and we grab a hold of the cross, our lives then become hidden in him and what God sees is no longer you and I. He sees Christ. He sees the righteous standard of Christ on our lives. That's good news, right? Here's the thing. We also believe in the resurrection. Jesus did not just die, but he was raised again to life. In Romans chapter eight, the apostle Paul writes these words. You are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. Everyone who grabs a hold of the cross, puts faith in what Christ has done, has the Spirit of God living in them because of the resurrection. Look what he says in verse 11. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living in you. That's the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in our lives. Anything that is now dead in my mortal body, he brings to life again. The same spirit that went into the tomb and breathed life into Jesus' dead, not passed out body, but dead body and brought him back to life lives in you. That's a game changer. That changes everything. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. It means you don't have to do it, but here's the thing. You still may want to do it. You still may want to do it. That's why we come to the cross. Because the cross doesn't just say, Jesus, forgive me. It says, Jesus, I don't want anything to do with that old life anymore. And so the power of the resurrection says, you know what, now you have power not to do that. Now you have power to avoid that. Verse 13, because if you live by the flesh, the sinful nature, you will die. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. The resurrection gives us the power to resist our flesh and sin and gives us the power to do what the Spirit leads us to do. 
What does the Spirit lead us to do? Jesus said in John chapter 16, I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit. He's gonna remind you of everything I have taught you. So the Spirit will remind us of what Jesus taught so that we can follow the teachings of Jesus so we can build our lives on a rock and we will not crash. Wait a minute, I thought you just said that if I ask Jesus to forgive me, I'm forgiven. I mean, the Apostle Paul wrestles with this too. All the way through Romans 6, 7, and 8, he's wrestling with it. And he says, here's the truth. You know, Jesus died for me, but yet what I want to do, I don't do that. And what I don't want to do, I end up doing. Because even though Jesus died and he forgave me, I still have this flesh. And one day the Bible says, I'm going to throw this flesh off and I'm going to put on a new body. It's going to be a redeemed body and I'm not going to have this struggle anymore. But right now I have this struggle. My spirit is alive because the spirit is in me and Jesus has forgiven me and he's covered me. But what am I going to do? I I keep making these mistakes, I keep failing, I keep falling short. Do I have to get saved every time I make a mistake? Paul says, no, I don't have to. Who's gonna set me free from this miserable existence? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Then he starts chapter eight by saying, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He continues this passage by saying that the spirit that Christ has raised, can you get me to the next screen? The spirit that Christ has put in us no longer makes us fearful slaves. Instead, he gives us God's spirit when he adopted us as his own children. And now we call him Abba Father for his spirit joins with our spirit and tells us we're his children. I had this conversation with my young daughter last night. I said to her, I said, you know, if you died, you disobey what God tells you to do and you die in that moment, would you go to heaven? She said, no. And I thought, wow, we have not taught her very well. But in her little mind, I'm like, I'm glad she's so afraid of sin that she you know, will just repent right away. She said, I just have to ask Jesus. But here's the truth. First John chapter two, verse one, look at what it says. My dear children, I'm writing this letter to you so that you will not sin. That's the goal. The goal is to not sin, okay? If you did not know that, it's not because of Christ. Now, it's okay if I sin. It's that I do not sin, okay? That's the power of the resurrection. It's actually possible. But if anyone does sin, in other words, when we try to live up to the full standard of Christ, we're gonna fall, we're gonna trip. We have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father, he's Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. See, even while I'm taking the power of the resurrection and I'm trying to apply it to my life and I'm trying to to get rid of the sin that exists in my life, the power of the cross covers my future sin too. In other words, the justice of God that he laid on Jesus at Calvary, have you ever heard of the word double jeopardy? Means you can't be tried twice for the same crime. My sin was already laid on him. Not just my past sin, but my future sin is already laid on him. And he took the entire wrath of God. And so as long as my life is hidden in Christ, even when I sin, it's covered. Because I've got an advocate in in heaven who's reminding the Father, I already took that one. I already took that one. 
So again, if that's what's happening in heaven, why does it matter whether I sin or not? Why does it matter whether I follow the teachings of Jesus? I mean, after all, we're all just human. We all got needs. We just want to do whatever feels good. Because of this thing, sin is still deceptive and destructive. If you don't hear anything else I say, listen, sin is still deceptive and destructive. The reason Jesus did not just die for us, but rose again to break the hold of sin in our lives is because if it stays in our lives, it will deceive us and destroy us. If we continue to live according to the sinful nature, we will die. You're not smarter than sin. You can't just toy with it. You can't just play with it. We have got to get aggressive with it. Jesus actually compared it to, if your arm causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. That's how important this is. Not because if you sin once, that my, my, my blood is insufficient for you. You know, that's a teaching we used to teach. That if you sin, you know, you're, you're, you're in danger of the fires of hell. You better repent. No, the blood of Christ is enough to cover my future sin. But the thing is, the resurrection of Christ enables me to get sin out of my life. Because if I let it stay in my life, it will deceive me and it will destroy me. But please, don't just take my word for it. Let's look at what the scripture says. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we've received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. James says, don't just listen to God's word. Do what it says. Otherwise, you're fooling yourselves. Who did Jesus say was a fool? Those who hear his words and don't put them into practice. You're a fool. Your life is being built on sand. And while you think because you're hearing his teaching that your life is okay, one day a storm is going to come and you're going to recognize when that house crashes that it, you should have paid attention and did what he asked you to do. Now, here's the thing. He's empowered us to do it. By the way, James goes on right after that to say that the two things that he lists here when he says don't just do what it says is the tongue and taking care of orphans and widows. He doesn't list adultery. He doesn't list stealing. He says the tongue. I know, you know the good sin that we commit in church, gossip and slander? That's what James points out. See, if we think that we can just keep gossiping and keep slandering and, you know, the blood of Jesus is just going to cover it, there's a danger. I'm not saying that the first time you gossip, the first time you slander, but if we continue to refuse the power of the resurrection that will set us free from sin, the power of the resurrection, eventually when we let go of that, we're going to let go of the cross too. That's the deceptive nature of sin. Look at what he says all the way back in the book of Genesis. If you refuse to do what is right, watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. If you allow sin to go unchecked in your life, it, its desire is to control you. Your desire is not to be controlled by it, but it doesn't matter. If we sin, we become slaves to sin. That's the point of the resurrection for us to deal with sin in our lives and get rid of it because it's deceptive and it's destructive. You must subdue it and be its master. 
Hebrews chapter 10, look at this. You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. If, you, if we allow sin in our lives to stay in our lives and we do not deal with it through the power of the resurrection, it will lead us at some point to let go of the cross. You still may be familiar with the story that Jesus died for you. You still may think that that prayer you prayed 25 years ago to ask Jesus into your heart is still helping you. But you are going to be deceived because sin is destructive and it's deceptive. If we're faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Do not be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. And here's the question we always ask Where's the line? How do I know when I've crossed over the line? How do I know that, you know, this sin is deliberate sin and not, can I, if you're even asking that question, you're way too close to the line. Just get away from the line. If anything in scripture is called a sin, have nothing to do with it. I mean, the Bible tells us that. Anything that stirs up lust within you, get away from it. I don't care if the Bible says it's sin. If it stirs up desire in you for something that's unclean, get away from it. Because sin is deceptive and it's destructive. And although the power of the cross and the power of the blood of Jesus Christ is enough to cover my future sin, if I allow sin to stay in my life, it will deceive me and it will destroy me. That's the promise of Scripture. Paul, in Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8, I would encourage you this week to read Romans 6, 7, and 8 and read it from different translations. Because he He walks through this entire thing because he starts in Romans chapter six by saying this, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his grace? I mean, if the sin in my life just exalts the grace of God, why not sin more? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in death? Why do we get baptized? Why do we go under the water and signify, because we're signifying I'm dying to that old life. So anything that was a part of that old life, anything that was in sin, I'm, I'm killing it. And I'm being raised to a new life. The power of the resurrection now gives me the ability to walk in the new life. And here's the thing. When I screw up, I'm not going to walk around and just be all like, oh, I'm such a terrible person. I'm so rotten. I'm never going to break this addiction. I'm never going to beat this thing. Yes, I am. Because the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in me. And I'm going to beat every addiction. And I'm going to beat every personality and character flaw in my life. I'm going to beat it all because of the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We, were de- we, were, we died and were buried with Christ in baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. 
For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. So you should consider yourself dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you've got new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what's right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. The freedom of God's grace is not the freedom to do whatever I want. It just takes the pressure off as I try to conform my life to the image of Christ. I'm not just going to live however I want. I'm not going to just follow the dictates of my flesh. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to listen to the teachings of Jesus. I'm going to put it into practice. But I'm not going to live in condemnation and guilt in the process. That's the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection. Oh, so excited. <sighs> mm. There's one group that I want to I share two scripture passages for. These weren't a part of my original sermon, but um, as I was going over my notes yesterday morning and I went out on a run and I was listening to uh, Jim Cimbala preach a sermon and Something he said struck a chord in me. Something that I've been praying for because I know there are a lot of you in this room today that are, you're in the, in the throes of just like all kinds of yuck and junk and battle. And here's the thing. I mean, we know that. I mean, we know that in this life we're gonna have problems and trials and some of you have little trials right now and some of you have big trials. And if you have no trials, praise God right now because trials are coming. But the danger is we let go of the resurrection. And whether your trial is an addiction that you're trying to break, or whether your trial is just some kind of besetting sin, or a financial woe, or a relationship that's broken, or healing that doesn't seem to come, or whatever it is, the power of the resurrection is for all of it. Anything that is dead in our life, anything attached to our old life, the power of the resurrection in us gives us victory. Okay? That means nothing else is coming down. That means no one laying hands on you is going to be the answer. That means there's not a Bible study out there that you need. I mean, not that these things are bad. These things are all good and they help us. These are the measurements that we, we talked about earlier. But here's the thing. Everything you need is right, it, right in your hands. It's just a matter of reminding ourselves. And the problem is when we go through these difficulties and these trials, we're tempted to let go of the resurrection power of God. We're tempted to just say, you know, this is, this is just how it's going to be. You know, that relationship's just always going to be broken. You know, I'm just always going to have this problem. I'm always, always going to have this sin. I mean, we even liken it to the Apostle Paul. You know, Paul had that thorn in the flesh. Well, we have no idea what that meant, so don't, don't accept it. And I want to share these two scripture passages, and I'm going to share them out of everybody's favorite translation, the message. <laughs> just making sure you're awake. Because the way it's worded, but what I want you to pay attention to is the way that the, the resurrection, the death of Jesus, and the life of God that is, is, is meant for us is attached together in these passages. And so the first one is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at what Paul writes in there. We've been surrounded and battered by troubles, but we're not demoralized. 
We're not sure what to do, but we know that God knows what to do. We've been spiritually terrorized, but God hasn't left our side. We've been thrown down, but we haven't broken. What they did to Jesus, they do to us. Trial, torture, mockery, murder. What Jesus did among them, he does in us. He lives. So we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside, it often looks like things are falling apart on us. On the inside, where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times. I tried so hard to read that without laughing. The lavish celebration prepared for us. There's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today, gone tomorrow, but the things we can't see now will last forever. The other comes from Hebrews chapter 12 that I alluded to earlier. Do you see what all this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on. It means we'd better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. The exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item. The long litany of hostility that he plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. In this all-out match against sin, others have suffered far worse than you. Let me just stop there. That's the Bible. A lot of us would like to take that statement and say, but you don't understand. No, the Bible says others have suffered far worse than us. No matter how much you and I have suffered, others have suffered far worse than us. And if no one else on planet Earth throughout history has ever suffered as much as one of us, nothing, to say nothing of what Jesus went through, none of us have done that yet. All that bloodshed. So, don't feel sorry for yourselves. A few weeks ago, remember when Judy Bullweber was here and she talked about the demonic oppression that attaches itself to self-pity? See, here's the thing. Sin is deceptive and it's destructive. And it doesn't fight fair. And if we allow self-pity into our lives, the enemy will ride on that and he'll use it to destroy us. And that's just, in my opinion, that's so below the belt. Because when some kind of tragedy happens in our lives or something happens that's really a, a pain, and he even uses that as an access point to our lives, that ought to make us hate everything that his kingdom has to do with even more. Because even through that, he'll destroy us. So don't feel sorry for yourselves. My dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline, but don't be crushed by it either. God is educating you. That's why you must never drop out. He's treating you as children. The trouble, is, the trouble you're in isn't punishment. It's training. The normal experience of children. 
But God is doing what is best for us, training us to live God's holy best. At the time, discipline isn't much fun. It always feels like it's going against the grain. Later, of course, it pays off handsomely, for it's well-trained, for it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. So don't sit around on your hands. No more dragging your feet. Clear the path for long-distance runners, praise God, so no one will trip and fall, so no one will step in a hole and sprain an ankle. Help each other out and run for it. See, sometimes not quitting is all you're supposed to do. There are times in your life where the pressure to just walk away is so intense that just not quitting is the battle. Your emotions are all over the place. There's so much pressure and anxiety and fear. And then you feel guilty because you can barely read the Bible. You can barely pray. And so all of this condemnation comes in. In that moment, remind yourself that God doesn't look at you and say, well, hey, you didn't pray. It's all covered by the cross. So just don't quit. Pick yourself off the ground and just live today. Just live today. Some of you today need to believe in the cross of Jesus Christ. You've never done it. You need to put your faith in it. Some of us today need to just grab a hold of the cross again. Maybe you're living in guilt and condemnation or fear or not being able to measure up to the standard. You are beating yourself up and you need to understand that there's no double jeopardy attached to what Christ has covered for you. You need to lay hold of that truth once again and just shake off that condemnation and guilt. Some of you need to grab hold of the resurrection. You have said a sinner's prayer, but you have done nothing to cleanse your life from sin. And if you continue to, to do that and walk that path, that sin will destroy you. It will get you to the place where you let go of the cross, the blood that covers you, and you don't even know it. Because you'll still be familiar with the truth that Jesus died for you, but you will be deceived by sin and you will be building on sand. The scripture's way too clear on that. And so some of you need to grab hold of that resurrection power today. Some of you need to grab hold of the resurrection power for healing in your life, for breaking an addiction that you just keep thinking you're never going to be able to break. You need to break truth in agreement with that lie and remind yourself today that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. And it's all possible. I want you to stand with me all across the place today. If you're here today and you would say, Pastor, I need to grab a hold of the cross. Whether for the first time in your life or you just need a fresh grip. I'm gonna tell you, every day I feel like I need a fresh grip on the cross. Especially when all of those voices, you know, you don't measure up, you're not good enough, you're never gonna beat this, this is who you are. I just grab a hold of the cross fresh and new. And I remind myself that my advocate already took it. And so if you could say today, you know what, I just want to grab a hold of the cross fresh and new. Would you just slip up your hand and say, 
I'm going to grab it fresh and new today. Anybody else? I'm going to grab the cross fresh and new. All right, put your hands down. If you're here today and you say, you know what? I'm going to grab the res. I need to grab a hold of the resurrection. Either because there's sin in your life and you know you need to break agreement with sin. You need to stop playing with it. Or because you've given up. You've given up on that relationship. You've given up on that miracle. You've given up on that, uh, that breaking that addiction. You've given up on something. And you say, you know what? I just got to grab a fresh hold of the resurrection today. If that's you, would you slip up your hand and say, I need to grab the resurrection today. I need to break agreement with sin. I need to go after that healing. I need to restore that relationship. And the power of the resurrection is what I need. Would you, would you just lift up your hand? That's me. I need it. 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 All right, put your hands down. I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to dismiss, but I want to invite our prayer team to come, and they're going to come, and they're going to stand here in this front row, and if you need prayer, you need someone to agree with you for healing, for restoration, if you have never, you've never grabbed a hold of the cross, this is your first time, can I encourage you just to take a few minutes and come and let us uh, pray with you and talk with you? We've got some information we want to give you to help you to put into practice what we've talked about here today. And so as I close in prayer, I want you to be able to feel like you can be dismissed. But if you want to come and pray, whether by yourself at this altar or you want to be prayed for, we want to make that available to you because we want to agree with you. We want to help you grab a hold of the cross. We want to help you grab a hold of the resurrection in a fresh way today. And so, Father, I thank you today for the commitments that have been made in this room. God, today we want to grab a hold of the cross. We want to grab a hold of what Christ has done for us. God, we're sinners. We've broken your law. We can never possibly measure up to that standard that you have for us. But today, we grab a hold of what Christ has done for us. We put our confidence in what he's done. God, we thank you for your love and your mercy. God, we thank you that in your justice, you developed a plan to allow Christ to be our punishment, that you put every sin that we have ever committed and ever will commit on his back. Jesus, thank you for willingly, for willingly taking that on yourself. And I pray that you'd help us to grab a hold of that truth, that our lives would be lived in freedom and forgiveness. Father, thank you for the power of the resurrection. Thank you for the victory you've given us over sin. Father, forgive us today for allowing sin to remain in our lives, for clinging to the cross, but not clinging to the resurrection. Your word has warned us today that sin desires us. It wants to destroy us. It wants to deceive us. And so today we take fresh grip of the power of the resurrection, the power of your spirit that you've put in our lives. God, to break agreement with sin, to turn away from, God, the, the old life, to turn away from everything that stirs up lust in our lives, that stirs up a desire for the sinful nature. And God, we grab a hold of the power of that resurrection. God, for those today, that the battle is just to not quit. Holy Spirit, I ask you to give them strength to grab a hold of the resurrection. You are the God that heals. You are the God that restores. 
You are the God that delivers. You are the God that sets free. And all of it, all of it is contained in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's ours. And God, we're not going to quit. We're not going to quit until we're healed. We're not going to quit until every relationship is restored. We're not going to quit until every chain is broken off of our lives. We're going to grab a hold of the resurrection. We're going to listen to your spirit and we're going to follow him as he reminds us of the things that Jesus taught. And God, we're going to endure to the end and we're going to be saved. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would take those truths and that you would put them deep within our hearts today. Transform our lives in every way we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to be prayed for, I want to encourage you to come. Uh, We'd love the opportunity to pray with you. If you need to be dismissed, please do it quietly and let this be a place of prayer for those who want to spend some time in prayer before they leave. is found and he is my light my strength